Developing Strategy podcast. So far in this series, we've discussed the first two questions on our six-step framework, the external environment and understanding the internal situation. And this week, we're going to move on to step three on the framework, which is how the situation will evolve. This is a big issue and getting it wrong can be a major embarrassment. So one of my favourite examples of this is Steve Ballmer, um, who was previous CEO of Microsoft in 2007 said, there's no chance that the iPhone is gonna get any significant market share. No chance, how embarrassing. Yeah. Um, Dad, would you care to opine on that? I would, and in fact, I'd like to confess my own embarrassment in a similar area. I was working for a payphone company. Now this was back in, oh my God, it must've been like 1991. So it was a hell of a lot before. And I remember this question about, there's this thing, it's called the, it wasn't even called the mobile phone then, it was the something phone. And you know, my, my associate who was working for me said, well, it could be important if they solve this technological problem, we kind of didn't bother thinking about it. So we didn't really spend enough time actually thinking through and forecasting what would be the impact of this new technology, which, Maybe there wasn't much we could do at the time anyway, because uh, it was so early, but I look back and think that was a missed opportunity to have done a better job forecasting. Okay, um, fair enough. So I guess kicking off today, um, how, how do you deal with uncertainty? We've, we've talked about this quite a bit because you actually do a lot of this in your day-to-day, so I think you're going to be, be really coming in on this, this episode and giving us lots of examples. But there's really two different approaches, um, and I think there's a neat little story that illustrates the two approaches. It's about a Las Vegas casino. It's described by Nassim Taleb in his excellent book, The Black Swan. Um, it's about uncertainty and how, how industries evolve. And it talks about Las Vegas casinos and how they have extremely sophisticated models to to forecast and then be able to manage the odds and have control over high rollers, watching out for cheaters and so on. However, uh, he tells a story about having worked with a casino and it turned out that they had really huge losses that came completely from left field. So they lost about 100 million US dollars when Roy Horn of Secret and Roy which was a kind of magic and tiger animals act that was in one of this in this big casino. I think it was in the Mirage. And he was maimed by one of his tigers in, in one performance. And, and the incident was so unexpected that while insurance had been bought for the tiger leaping into the audience, none had thought it necessary to insure for a performer who allowed the tiger to actually sleep in his bedroom. So so it's a sort of an example of how these things come out from left field. Now, another big loss came when an employee filed... Um, failed to file an important internal revenue service document for years without anyone noticing, uh, resulting in a monstrous fine that had to be paid, again, unforeseen. And another time, the casino owner's daughter was kidnapped and he dipped into its coffers to pay the ransom. So so the point here is, you know, there are kind of two extremes illustrated here. One is the stuff that with sophisticated modelling you can understand, you know, about high rollers and odds and so on. But then there's the stuff that's unpredictable, the unknown unknowns, where they come out of left field. And, and most lie on a spectrum, but yeah. we're going to devote an episode to each and talk of them kind of separately. So first up in this episode is is forecasting, mm-hmm. which is a good approach when you think that the trend is, let's say, reasonably predictable. Um, something like supermarket sales or energy usage. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we should communicate two principles about good forecasting. And the first one, we've all heard the phrase garbage in, 
garbage out. And that makes the point that you have to feed any model you have, any forecasting model, with reasonable data. And that's a really important point, even if a bit obvious. But equally important is my second principle, which is GMGO, as opposed to GIGO, which is garbage model, garbage out. Yeah, if you have a bad model, you're going to get garbage out, even if the data is great. So what's the second message, Charlie? Garbage model, garbage out. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, but we'll start with garbage in, garbage out, which is what people know about and is very important. So I think you've got a good example of how you model and how you try and avoid that problem. Yeah, so very briefly as part of my work, one of the businesses we came across and I had to do a kind of diligence work on um, did document remediation for blind people. So if you get something like a bank statement or an energy bill, um, easy for me or you to read, but a blind person would need that to be read out to them or translated or in braille mm. or, or kind of the format that they use um, most commonly. That's great. So there's a lot of uh, new tech trends around getting easier ways for people to, to read these sort of documents. Um, but as a market, it's very nascent and growing really fast. So it's, and it's a bit of a challenge to model just... Um, in a kind of two-week period, basically. Mm -hmm. wow. How how big is this market for document remediation? I do remember those days. That's the sleepless nights. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a journey for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I can talk a bit about how we how we did that. So, I think it's kind of a first principles approach, really. Um, anyone who's done consulting interviews will know about this. You kind of start off with just building a market model. So, how would you work out how big this market is? Well. First of all, you need to break down what kind of documents blind people would get each year. So mm -hmm. very briefly, like how many, what proportion of the population of the US um, would need their documents remediating? You mm. might look at things like the incidence rates of cataracts or being blind from birth. Mm -hmm. And then you get your kind of population. Then you think about... And I guess just to interrupt on the garbage in, garbage out, that would be an example of a statistic that I presume you're pretty is pretty easy to get. So you're not going to put garbage in. or Is that right or not? Yeah, it's, it's a bit more complicated because it's one thing to say these people are blind and then it's another to say that exact group has the exact, oh, the exact okay. severity of blindness to there's need a, these the potential documents. potential for a bit of garbage. Yeah, so you can already see there's some uncertainty. Okay. But, but let's say we got that number down. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to think about all the different documents they get. So mm -hmm. if you have a bank account, um, you get a document every month, let's say, right. with your bank statement on it. Um, and that would need to go in the pile of things that need remediating. Yeah. You basically count up all of those different things where you get sent a letter in the post every week. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, in theory, your number of addressable documents. Well, your number of documents sent to people who need the remediating each year. So you can see I'm not going to go into detail right. and, and on and on. But there were loads of inputs like that where you sort of build them up. And then you think about how those will change. So the US population is ageing which means that there'll be higher incidents of cataracts because people with people right. who are older are more likely to have cataracts. So I guess a long answer to your question um, or an illustration of that first point around how you model things into the future is breaking them down into their constituent parts and thinking about how those parts will change. So instead of just saying, oh, let's think of a number for how many documents there'll be, you break it into different parts. But just to push on this a bit, is there one or two of the bits of data that you need that are at risk of being garbage because they're a bit of a guess? Or did you feel that by doing this, you were able to break it down into categories that you could get mm. pretty good data on? There's definitely a distinction between 
some of the things like demographics and let's say we we're assuming yeah. roughly equal cataracts incidence rate by age group and you can kind of forecast mm. that with some confidence okay. but then as you can imagine certain aspects of building this market model are just a bit more complex and require a bit more thought so as an illustration of that one of the goals of this model was not just to say okay overall how big is this market but also to segment out the market into different technologies that we use to serve um, the people who needed their documents remediating. So one of those technologies is Braille. Um, another might be a computer program that just reads it out over audio format. Another might just be a software that enables your computer to read a PDF document and then translate that into something that could be read out. So actually we needed to illustrate these different things and that final technology I've talked about which is just taking PDF formats and, and turning them into blind accessible documents was well, a kind of really new segment of the market growing really fast and this big technology driven part of the market and that forecasting forward how that segment would grow and take share from the traditional models like Braille was quite a challenging part of the process. It sounds a really interesting market. So uh, let me try and just summarise. So what I think you're saying is that by breaking down this overall question of how big the market is into different questions, such as how many blind people are there mm. and how many documents do they use, and then breaking those questions down further too, you can create a model where the data is largely available so you don't suffer from the garbage in, garbage out problem except you just highlighted one area where the effect of alternative technologies and one in particular that you've highlighted is actually difficult to predict so in, in other words you could be at risk of creating a bad estimate of mm. how big that segment was going to be so there's a one potential garbage in garbage out yeah. issue there okay okay so um you know, that's just one area where you have that risk. And so you clearly have to be careful to treat the estimates in that area with more caution, do more analysis and, and so on. Um, fine. I think that's all a great illustration of actually a, an example of where, you know, the data is largely available with one or two exceptions. But let me now turn to the second issue, which is that you need not just good data, but also a good model. Um, so to illustrate this, let's Let's think about different ways to model the growth of, of this market. So as an illustration, let me suggest five different models you could use to project the growth of your market, each of which would provide a different answer, even if you use the same data, the da data input. So my different models are one, linear growth, two, exponential growth, three, S-curves, for life cycle curves and five disruptive innovation, which are not the only models available, but they're kind of illustrative. Okay. Uh, and, and then perhaps we could con conclude with a summary of main points. So one could adopt a simple model, which I would call linear growth, which is that if you saw, for example, that over the last year, the growth in the market had been um, half a million people, mm -hmm. you could say, well, let's assume it's half a million every year. And each year we add half a million. Now, would that be a reasonable approach in this situation or? Um, no, actually, what I think you saw is the population was growing, not in a linear fashion. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be a half million every year. That wasn't. OK, that wasn't so let me try another one. Supposing it was a, a similar growth rate each year so that perhaps you had, you know, two percent growth a year 
of the population. So you think yeah. in terms of growth rate, which if it's 2% every year actually is pretty close to linear, but if it's 20% a year, then, then that actually starts to ramp up. Yeah. That's like the virus model, exponential growth. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely more the style of growth that we see. Okay, and I think that's often true in markets that you look at exponential growth. Let me just mention one other one, which is relevant as we're in virus lockdown time or we're coming out of lockdown, um, is the S-curve model, which is the problem with exponential growth is if you grow 20% a year and then you start doing the maths, you soon become more than 100% of the market. Mm. Or, you know, you, you everybody in the world's blind or something. So so we, we talk more about S-curves, which is as your growth rate increases, you reach a sort of inflection point where the growth slows. And you might get to 100% of some total market. Does that make sense as one yeah. way to think about things here? And I think that's how we thought about it. Like, you've, you've got that S-curve logic. You've got the, the keen people who might be... Well, now now I'm talking about the segments really, mm-hmm. but I think I think that's true. Um, so you'd have an ad- within a segment, yeah, the so addressable market might grow through an S curve, yeah, to, to the maximum market. Yeah. So to be clear, because I think it's interesting yeah. to be clear, I'm not talking about the the top line market size. Right. Now, but when we were on this question of splitting out those different segments and how the more technology driven segments would grow, you had a sense that. Okay, there are some really keen early adopters who are really right. tech savvy. Mm-hmm. They're going to take up this technology pretty soon. But then at a certain point, you're probably reaching your capacity of, of people who are interested in that technology. Mm. Maybe there are just some people who will always choose Braille because that's what they've always grown up with. Right. And, and, um, and actually, Braille literacy, literacy rates have come down over time. So you've got this old population who love using Braille. Anyway, I think those, those kinds of ideas really ring true. And, and that S-curve is... Probably a logic that we used implicitly. Yeah, and I must say, we use a lot of S-curve type thinking. One of the tricky things is what's the maximum addressable market? Mm. Because early on, everything's growing rather exponentially, just like early on the virus was growing very fast. You don't really know, is it going to be 80% of people will get the the virus or 100% or actually only 50%? It matters rather a lot in the end, Mm. but early on it's quite hard to predict. And with S-curves also, you're not quite sure what the maximum penetration of the market is. And like you said, you could have some people who stick with Braille. Okay, but that's one model, the S-curve. Just to show that's not the only model though, the life cycle, if you see a life cycle curve, it's basically an S-curve, but it comes down off the top, actually like a real S, that Mm. it comes down because as the market matures, people get less interested in this because there's some other approach, you know, like people fix their blindness through other ways and 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 markets go into decline so they don't just top out and then stay there mm. they go into decline which you know maybe is thinking a lot further ahead than you guys were thinking i think but that's i think it was you'd hope i guess long term that there's more treatment available for blindness and that the incidence right. goes down and but yeah i think for the purpose of what we were looking at it was it was too short time scale but it's definitely interesting and yeah hopefully the case yeah Yes, hopefully the case indeed. And then there's another model which is a bit like the life cycle, at least it might explain it, which is disruptive innovation. And I mention that just because that's a, it was very trendy and is still a very powerful idea, so people might have heard of it. And it's, it's more of a concept than a mathematical model. Um, and the concept is that you, you have very mature technologies which are doing very well, and actually what happens is the people who are designing those products with those technologies tend to keep over-engineering them mm. to make them really fantastic for users, to the point where they're delivering loads of options that nobody ever uses, like, you know, you're often your 
recorders for programs. If you if you record programs on a hard drive for TV, you can also store your photos there and store your home movies. And actually, nobody needs these features, mm. but it's just the engineers in wherever Korea or Japan keep coming up with new ideas. And then what you get is a disruptive innovation, which tends to be cheap and nasty initially, like broadband, say, and everyone ignores it and says no no we'll we'll keep with our hard drives and our cds and then over time of course that broadband technology gets much better and the bandwidth gets much better and and then it replaces entirely or almost entirely the old technology and and this is called disruptive innovation because what happens is your your market is disrupted and actually crumbles underneath you so it's a bit like um, a life cycle curve where you go up then you top out, then you come down, but you actually come down quite precipitously at some point. Okay. And you're not quite sure when that's going to be unless you're really looking out hard. Mm. So Clayton Christensen came up with that. And I guess, again, maybe you weren't thinking about that or maybe you were thinking about some some of these technologies as being disruptive and mm. undermining things like Braille and yeah. other kinds of audio. I think it's a bit of a shame, like, for the, for the purpose of our work you kind of have to have an output and there's a certain forecast that you put on a piece of paper or you right. put on a slide and and that is your forecast. But of course you need to be thinking about various scenarios and yeah. what those could look like. Maybe just the time frames we had, we didn't get a chance to explore, but generally like the investors we work with are, are thinking about those kinds of ideas, but yeah, certainly helpful. So should we summarize there then? What, yes. Those five models, if I remember correctly, we've got linear growth, exponential growth, S-curve, life cycle, and disruptive innovation. And yeah. they're kind of, developments on each other I guess mm -hmm, some of them mm -hmm. relate but that's broadly what we're looking at yeah and I think the broader point even than that is just think about what model you're using so you've got a bunch of data from the past but you've got to also think about well what model are mm. you actually using to turn your historical data into future projections and actually I've lined up a bonus episode with somebody in a real business where we will talk about this again as a practical example okay cool looking forward to it as, as usual, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next week.